0: Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build
1: better habits and improve your business and lifestyle. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez and and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional translators striving to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 79. And today we want to share a conversation with a guest who can talk to us more about the legal aspects of running a freelance translation business. We all know how vital it is to get this part right, but it can be overwhelming, time-consuming, and nerve-wracking if we don't know where to start or if we're feeling unsure of the legal protections we have in place. That's why we invited someone who can share more about this topic with us. But before we get started, we want to share some legal protections of our own. As you listen to this episode, please keep in mind that we're not attorneys and nothing in this episode is meant to represent legal advice. If you have questions about the legal aspects of your freelance business, we encourage you to consult a qualified attorney before making any changes. And now on to the episode. We are excited to welcome Nicole Fenwick to join us today. Nicole is an entrepreneurial French to English legal translator and lawyer linguist based in Barcelona. When she's not translating or traveling the world, she enjoys making translators' lives easier by helping them understand their legal rights and obligations and drafting their terms of business so they can do what they love. Safe in the knowledge that they have the legal protection they need to protect their work and pay the bills, preferably on time. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, Nicole.
2: Hello, it's lovely and lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for
0: joining us, Nicole. This is such an important topic, and it's one of those things, sort of like finances, that everybody knows is important, but they don't really want to talk about. So, we appreciate you joining us to have this important discussion and to give us some tips as well.
2: No, you're welcome.
0: Thanks. So to kick things off, we'd love for you to tell our listeners and colleagues about yourself and
2: your business. Okay. So I am a French to English legal translator and lawyer linguist. Um, In a previous life, I was a lawyer, but then I saw the light. I definitely realised, I think I've always, my friends have always described me as more of a linguist than a lawyer. I couldn't use my languages as much as I wanted to in legal practice. So I ended up studying for a master's in translation, and then here we are. Oh, that's so cool. How long were you a lawyer? I was a lawyer for four years. Uh, That was enough.
0: (laughs) Still, I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. So kind of getting into that, how you became a freelancer, what values led you to become a freelancer and how did they develop in your business over time?
2: I think, first of all, I'll state the obvious. I think independence and flexibility. I think they're probably ones that we can all relate to. And financial independence and also location independence and um, I'm based in Barcelona but I spend time all over visiting friends visiting family back in the UK so definitely having that flexibility is really really important and also I think for me something that I couldn't I didn't always feel like I could I could offer when I was a lawyer was friendly service I am very friendly and I think sometimes the There's a misconception that in order to be professional, you have to be quite serious, especially when it comes to legal matters. Hopefully I book that trend because I'm kind of known for being fairly sociable and fairly friendly. I really like to develop a rapport with my clients, you know, regardless of the service that I'm offering them. I want them to enjoy the experience. You know, it's always nice to have things in common, a bit of small talk and even a bit of banter with the client. And I think that just because you're offering them a, a really important service, it doesn't mean that the service itself has to be serious. And I think also from an ethical point of view, being a freelancer means that I can take on work that aligns with my own ethics. So something that I'd love to do more of this year is work with women-led businesses and law firms in particular, but also other business businesses who foster an environment where there's inclusive inclusivity on in its many forms. And work with clients who, who I would like to work for in another life. I think that's definitely important.
1: What are some smart habits that have been crucial in your career? How do you stay focused and organized?
2: Well, honestly, I don't always stay focused and organized. (laughs) I think we all have our moments. But for me, something that's been massive over the last couple of years, particularly particularly during and after the pandemic, is diversification. I've developed some some really good habits trying to diversify my business. I'd already diversified to a certain extent because I teach legal English to lawyers in other jurisdictions. But... Certainly during the pandemic, I saw that, and as you'll know, I saw some colleagues were really struggling because their field had been massively affected by the pandemic. And I never really wanted to find myself in that position. So I, I worked hard to build different streams of income so that if one area of my business goes through a quiet spell, I have other sources of income. So I think diversification is really important for all of us, really.
1: Yeah, that is so true. It's important to have some backup plans and, and various things that you're doing that you can fall back on. What is one habit that you had early on in your career that you no longer practice and why?
2: Nowadays, I never take on same day work as a rule. I say never, very occasionally I will if it's for a particular client and it's something that I know won't be too stressful. But I think something that a lot of us say, you know, it's a classic thing in, in an interview or in a situation where you say, you know, how do you work while under pressure? Do you work while under pressure? Well, I can honestly say that I don't really. I don't think I produce my best work under those sorts of conditions. And more importantly, you know, going back to the values that led me to become a freelancer in the first place. I don't really enjoy the process. You know, I don't enjoy rushing something and knowing that I only have maybe a couple of hours to finish something. I don't like rushing in any aspect of my life. I'm always, I'm always early. And ideally, I like to reflect on my work and come back to it. So that's something that I decided probably a couple of years ago. And it's, yeah, it's definitely helped to eliminate unnecessary stress.
0: Yes, it is. And I think early on, I think most translators probably feel that need to rush because of just the nature of how you get work early on, especially from, you know, larger agencies. So, Nicole, you're known for having worked in the legal field before, and you told us you were a lawyer for several years before becoming a translator. So can you tell us what are some things that translators should look out for when they're asked to sign a contract?
2: There's a few red flags to look out for. Some of these will definitely be obvious, and a few people will be nodding their heads when they listen to this. But there is also some things that you might never even have thought about. They're definitely important. So first and foremost, I think I would say, I would say payment terms, you know, as much as we might love what we do, and I I hope that we all love what we do. At the end of the day, we're doing this to earn a living. So it's really important that the payment terms align with your financial needs, really. So I would say, try to avoid excessively long payment terms, you know, try and avoid anything longer than 30 days. But you might have other preferences depending on your situation. Liability is also a massive one. And I think this is something that is probably the most talked about thing when we all discuss the horror stories of reading, reading contracts that we've been given for clients. You know, don't agree to unlimited liability. Don't agree to something that says something along the lines of if the end client isn't happy, you agree to cover any and all costs borne by the client ever. Definitely, you know, that's definitely something to avoid. It sounds almost ridiculous, but believe me, I've seen all sorts. That's definitely one that I would look out for. Things like a non-compete clause as well. To a certain extent, this can depend on the area that you're working in. but, uh, But I think generally it does apply to all of us, really, because you don't want to be putting yourself in a situation where you agree to never work for a client's client, you know, the end client or their competitors because that can really restrict your business and ultimately you know for example for me if I said that I would never work for the law firms well that would just be utterly ridiculous so yeah that's always one to that's always one to keep in mind I think
0: yeah that's an interesting one and I've heard both ways about that one because you know sometimes it makes sense that a client doesn't want you to take their clients but you're right it depends on the space that you work in and not that anybody's going into this thinking oh I'm going to take their clients from them but Yeah, it can be, depending on your field too, I think it can be maybe more restricting for some than for others, I guess.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes you can definitely sort of, depending on who you're working with in the project, what you might do is you might agree to to maybe not work with a competitor for a certain amount of time for whatever reason. You know, I think we can all reach a fair compromise sometimes and that can definitely work for both parties. But at the same time, I think there's situations where you definitely shouldn't limit yourself. You know, don't put yourself in a situation where you're not going to be able to work with people that you want to work with. I think it's also worth mentioning intellectual property. This is something that we don't always think about because you know we think, okay, this is the deadline. We need to get the work done for this particular this particular deadline. But try and think about the long term use of your work. So this is particularly relevant for for literary translators. Or translators whose work will be published. Don't lose out on any income or royalties related to the work that you do.
1: Speaking of contracts, many translators like to have their own contracts for clients. What are some th- terms and conditions we should consider including?
2: I think this is a really important one because we need to make sure that we're doing business on the terms that we want to do business on. So, this is an opportunity for us to do this because we can lay down our own terms. I think, again, I would mention payment terms. Because if you're in the driving seat and you're the one who can can determine those, you can set whatever seems reasonable for you. I know, for example, that my accountant has payment terms of 10 days. I've no idea why, but that's the payment terms that they've decided on. So yeah, definitely make sure that you have payment terms that suit your particular situation. And also make sure that you create sanctions in your contracts. And what I mean by that is if your clients don't do something that they said they would, you know, they don't keep their side of the bargain, make it clear that you'll charge them interest or there'll be a late fee if they don't pay on time. I think things like that are really important because no one wants to pay money that they don't have to. So that acts as a deterrent. That's really important. Um, And again, going back to the liability point, I think what I would definitely recommend everyone to do is limit your liability in a particular contract to whatever the fee for the service is. That's really important. And again, I think that leads on to having professional indemnity insurance or errors and in emissions insurance. That's very, very important. But don't just rely on that. It's important that you try to limit your liability wherever you can, really. Yeah. And I think I know that you two ladies can probably relate to this. If you're in a situation where you've also become an, almost become a mini agency and you're subcontracting work to other colleagues, this is where it's really, really important that you make sure that you get your subcontractors to sign some terms and conditions, and preferably an NDA or a confidentiality agreement. Because again, that's where it's really opening you up to extra risk. So that's definitely something that I always recommend that people do.
0: I think that's a good point. And you mentioned also professional indemnity insurance, Nicole. So when it comes to insurance, what are your thoughts on taking out professional indemnity insurance, or as many people probably refer to it, errors and omissions insurance?
2: I think it's absolutely essential. I think it's as simple as that, really. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have this type of insurance for any business owner, not just translators. Something that I always like to remind people of is that hopefully, without breaking the law, you wouldn't drive your car without having insurance. So why run a business without it? You know, it's exactly the same. I'm sure that our colleagues take a great deal of pride in providing the best service for their clients, but unfortunately, we are only human and sometimes mistakes do happen for whatever reason. And I think it's particularly important if you work in certain sectors so for example legal financial and medical translation because the stakes are particularly high and the stakes can have disastrous consequences both financially and otherwise but I think generally speaking regardless of the area that you're working in it's really important that you have this type of insurance it's usually competitively priced it's something that just like your terms of business or your terms of conditions once you have it in place you can forget about it but at the same time, you have peace of mind knowing that you have it and it's there if you ever need it. And I think if you work in particular sectors as well, I know for me, some of my clients have actually asked me to confirm that I have this type of insurance. It's something I don't know about you ladies, but it's definitely something I've seen on people's websites now. Quite a few colleagues actually mention it on their website, which I think is quite a good idea. Because certainly for me, if I was looking for a translator or if I'd never met them before and I didn't really know much about the service that they might be offering me, Seeing something like that would definitely definitely reassure me and make me think, helps to legitimize a business, I think. It gives clients some peace of mind. That is so true.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I really like your analogy with driving a car. <laughs> I felt that way too from the very beginning, just having the errors and in emissions insurance gives me peace of mind. And I feel like it gives my clients a peace of mind. And some of my clients too have asked
2: if I have one.
1: What are some other ways that translators can
2: protect themselves legally? There's a few other options as well, related to just like the different aspects of your business. So for example, if you have a business name, uh, that's your branding, that's really important. So maybe you could go down the trademark route so that other people can't use it. That's one way that you can protect your name and your brand. You could also create a limited company. This can help to limit your liability, can help to create a clearer separation between your personal finances and your business finances. That's maybe another option worth exploring. and. For me, I think it's also really important that you always seeking independent financial advice because running your business in accordance with the law is a huge area. And that can also include making sure that you're running your business in accordance with current tax laws and things like that. So I think bringing in experts like accountants can also be really helpful.
0: Yes, exactly. And you totally segued into our next question, which is how can freelance translators find a small business attorney to help them to draft or review contracts for the type of work that we do?
2: That's a really good question, mainly because I think that in our industry, there's actually a gap in the market. And I actually realized that there was this gap a couple of years ago, which is why I decided to focus on this in my business. Because I think a lot of people, including our own clients, sometimes don't actually know what we do behind the scenes. And the same goes for a lawyer or an attorney. They don't always know the ins and outs of what we do and where we're exposed to risk. So somebody like me, You know, I'm very lucky, I'm very privileged. I sort of have an inside view because I know what it's like to offer translation services. I know what the risks are. I know what the job involves. That positions me quite well, really, to help you and to know what the risks are and what problems you may encounter with a particular client. I don't think that's always easy. When you consult somebody who is very good at what they do, but they don't really know exactly what it is that we do. I know a lot of people have no idea what goes on behind the scenes and it's, it can be a little bit tricky to to know exactly how we do work with our clients. you know for example, I work with clients all over the world, so most of whom I've never even met in person. and so for some professions that's quite a weird concept and so you know we need to make sure that we're protecting ourselves as much as we can.
0: That's a good point. I remember the first time I tried to find a small business attorney to help with my contracts. And it was a lot of sort of explaining what we do and how we work. And so it can be tricky to try to find the right person. And unfortunately, I think that can be a bit of a roadblock or a barrier for a lot of people to put it off. And I think that, you know, it's really reaching out and contacting somebody to set up a meeting is the first step. And from there, it just kind of all flows. But it can be overwhelming at first, I think, for many people.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think lots of people are in a similar situation to you where they have to spend some have to spend some time really explaining what it is that we do and the sort of situations that we might have encountered already or things that particularly concern us. And then they can give us the advice that we need. But I think it's always quite nice working with somebody who really understands what it is that you do and can see things from your perspective. Yes, I agree.
0: So Nicole, do you have any other tips for our listeners on how to approach the legal landscape of working as a
2: translator? First and foremost, I would have to say make sure that you get everything in writing. I think this is really important. I was giving a a webinar last week about things that you should include in your terms and conditions and how to protect yourself. And I think something that's really important is, for me, it doesn't really happen too often because most of the work that I do is done by email. So I have everything in writing. But Know that some people do have a lot of phone calls and things like that. And obviously, if you have a discussion with a client over the phone, unless you're recording that phone call, which in itself means that there's all sorts of privacy issues, and I wouldn't recommend that you do that. Then it's really important that you that you have something in writing as well. So, if, for example, you do have a phone call with a with a client, I always like to to follow it up with an email just to confirm the things that you've discussed in there. That's always a always a nice way to still enable a particular client to get hold of you via via phone, but at the same time you're covering yourself and making sure that you're both clear on what you've agreed.
0: And I think that's just good business practice too, because sometimes you talk about so many things with a client and then at the end you think you understand what they're wanting. And it could be that they said, well, no, I really didn't want that. I wanted something else or, well, I want this too. So it gives them a chance to respond.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think like when we send a quote, within that quote, we we explain the scope of the project. At that point, you know, you can both, if the client says, oh, well, actually, I need I need more or less than what you're currently offering. You know, can you proofread? Can you do all these extra things? That's the point at which you can, you know, you can discuss things like that, which is important.
1: Finally, if there were one piece of advice you could go back and give
2: to your past self, what would it be? This is a difficult one. But I think I would probably have to say, don't overlook other translators and other colleagues, language professionals as potential clients and also as the best cheerleaders. Um, I think q two are probably a fantastic example of this. But, you know, in my experience, they make fantastic colleagues and clients because they understand exactly what it's like to be us you know, we understand each other. And this is definitely something that I overlooked when I first started out. I didn't even think that I would end up working with other translators as clients, which is something that I love doing and and now I do a lot of. We all work in different language pairs, we have different specialisations. The service that we offer is is different for so many reasons. So I think it's really important that we have a trusted network of people that we can refer work to. And this is, although the job can be quite solitary, I don't think we can do this job alone. I I think it's really, really important that we all support each other. And something that I absolutely love doing is recommending other freelancers because I know what it means to them, whether that's a freelance translator or another, another type of freelancer. I'm always so touched when anyone passes my name on. And I know that it's always, it's always a nice feeling to be able to do that for somebody else. I can definitely say that fellow translators usually hold the record for settling my invoices quickly as well. Um, again, I think we know what it's like when we run a small business. So when you work with people who understand that, you know, it really, it really does make a difference.
1: I love it. I completely agree. Nothing brings me more joy than sending clients to my colleagues, referring work to them, or getting referrals from colleagues, working together with them on projects. That's just an amazing feeling, and I completely agree. It's like you work with people who get you and get what you do, and you just complement each other in a beautiful way. Well, Nicole, this was really helpful. We know our listeners will get so much out of this conversation and will think more about the changes they might want to make to the legal aspects of their business. And before we go, we'd love it if you join us for a special segment that we call Guests Favorites. This is where we ask our guests to share something with our listeners about a favorite book, resource or gadget. So is there
2: anything that you would like to recommend? I have to have a, a really good think about this one because there's there's so many things that I could mention here. But I'm going to manage, I think I'm going to mention a a tool that I use a lot. So something that lots of translators might have heard of is is a tool called LSP Expert. You might even use it yourselves, but I'm sure that you will have heard of it. I'm in no way affiliated with the company, but I just love using it. I think it's a fantastic tool. It was recommended to me by a colleague, by another translator, and it certainly made my life a lot easier and saved me a lot of time. Two things which I think are very high up on our priority list. Everything is all in one place. So this tool is, I use it to track my jobs. I use it to create invoices and produce financial reports so I can see how my business is performing, things like that. It's really good. You can see your most profitable clients, your most profitable services. It's a great tool. And and more importantly, it's really, really easy to use. Um, I wouldn't say I'm particularly tech savvy. I know how to use technology in order to survive, but I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at it. This tool in particular is very user-friendly. And put it this way, you can definitely tell that it was designed by other translators.
0: (laughs) I love that. And I've heard about this tool from other people too, that they really like it. So that's a good one. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us today, Nicole. And before we go, where can our colleagues learn more about you and find you online?
2: I'm very active on LinkedIn, also on on Instagram, on both of those platforms is fantastic. Fantastic translation community. So, my Instagram handle is CoLee Translate, and you can also find out more about me on my website.
1: We'll add those links to our show notes. And that's all the time we have for this episode. As always, in a couple of days, our email subscribers will get a summary of the episode with all the links to the resources that we mentioned today. And Nicole has graciously created a freebie for email subscribers. So, be sure you are subscribed to receive her top tips for client contacts. Yes, that's definitely going
0: to be helpful. So I'm excited that we get to share that. And lastly, if you liked this episode, we would love it if you shared it with your colleagues and friends and left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This only takes a minute, and we've recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. You'll find a link to that in our show notes. Talk to you soon.